3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Now, to sign up to either Chen's letter or mine, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call our number in New York at 718. 718- 457 1426, 718 457 1426. Call that number during normal work hours in New York City. Regarding Chen, uh, he will be with me in a few minutes to talk about a couple of uh, really exciting biotech stocks that he is very excited about. And even though it seems uh, we're in a bear market now, an equity bear market that we're going to talk to Michael Oliver about in a a couple of minutes, Chen believes that uh, a couple of these stocks can really swim against the tide, in fact, perhaps really explode against the tide because of some uh, pending uh, news that could be coming out um, with FDA approval, etc. So we're going to talk to Chen about a couple of those uh, as well. And uh, again, though, to sign up for Chen's letter, go to miningstocks.com. Either my my, uh, my newsletter, J Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, or Chen's letter. Uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Go to miningstocks.com. I also want to thank uh, Dynasert. Our sponsor for today's show, um, they are making the show economically viable. Dinosert is doing what Tesla can only dream of doing, and that is immediately reducing carbon emissions and without increasing them through uh, the generation of electricity, which of course is what Tesla will have to do. They have to fire up those power plants in order to get all those Tesla cars driving down the road. Well, Dinosert will provide immediate relief from uh, carbon emissions and also increase uh, the gas mileage, the fuel mileage that uh, trucks and other vehicles um, enjoy. So I'm looking forward to uh, uh, talking to the DynaCert CEO over the next couple of quarters and really watching what their sales are doing. They're just now starting to build very dramatically. Uh, of course the immediate reason why there is demand for their hydrogen injection technology is really to do with the reduction of fuel consumptions. Fuel consumption is the biggest cost for trucks Uh, And if they can reduce their fuel consumption by 14%, which is what all the tests have shown, that's a big saving for, uh, for the truck. So I think this is a really, really exciting story. I'm very proud to have them on as a sponsor, and we'll be talking to them again in the near future. Before we get started with today's show, I would like to uh, also to tell you that uh, you can listen to a very interesting interview I did yesterday with Barron's author, Gina Epstein, regarding the upcoming New York City Junto meeting. That's this coming Thursday at the General Society Library at 44th Street. That's uh, between 5th and 6th Avenues in New York City. Gene talks about this month's Junto guest, Charles Murray who is advocating civil disobedience as a means for Americans taking back their country from a government that is harming the general populace for the benefit of a powerful elite. Well, it should be a very interesting meeting, so I hope as many of you as possible can join me at this event. Meantime, listen to my interview with Gene Epstein on the podcast page at jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, It is now posted there, so as soon as this show is over, go there and listen to what Gene Epstein has to say, not only about Charles Murray, but also his own views on the political situation in the United States right now, as well as the economy. And Gene is turning a bit more negative. Usually he's the optimist that I have on this show amongst uh, my guests, uh, but even Gene is turning a bit, unfortunately, is turning a bit pessimistic. Well, today our show title is 2016 Economic Predictions, Year of Apocalypse. David Haggith visits for the first time. Chen Lin, as I noted, will be with me to talk about a couple of his favorite biotech stocks in just a few minutes. And I'm really happy to have my favorite technical analyst, Michael Oliver, with me right now to share with us his latest views on stocks and bonds and gold. But before we get to Michael, let me just talk a bit about uh, today's show. Thanks to uh, the evil spirit-induced monetary lies propagated by Keynesians and other communists, the world is entering a period of debt-induced depression in the likes of which I believe we haven't seen in the modern age. With the central banks around the world ushering in negative interest rates now, such that price discovery of capital is absolutely impossible, the world is moving away from the freedom inherent in a capitalistic system into a new epoch of global debt-based monetary serfdom, long predicted by Austrian economists. First-time guest, again, David Haggith. Uh, well, he will discuss why 2016 is the year of transition into a new epoch, or what he terms apocalypse. We will ask him how he suggests we protect ourselves and even profit from the turbulence in markets and society that most likely lies ahead of us. On a more positive note, Chen will note, uh, will join me in about a quarter past the hour uh, a- after we talk to uh, Michael here. He'll be with me. Uh, to uh, To pass along some of his thoughts on a couple of his va- favorite biotech stocks but uh, but now, thankfully, Michael Oliver is with me once again to update us on uh, his latest views on some key markets like stocks, bonds, and precious metals. Thanks for joining me again Michael great to be back always good to have you i 'm sorry we've uh, it 's been too long it 's been seems like several weeks since we last talked but let 's jump right into your weekend missive that you send out to your uh, to your subscribers. And, and before we get started, I want to let my listeners know it's OliverMSA.com, Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R, M is in Mary, S is in Sam, A is in Albert.com. Go there to learn more about Michael's excellent work. He sends out uh, many different missives during the week on many different markets. We tend to focus on some of them that are the most uh, directly related to what we talk about on this show so let 's jump right into the stocks uh, the stock market michael the s and p based on your structural momentum work regarding the s and p you 've been warning all through two thousand and fifteen at least during the second half. Uh, of the year that the equity markets were topping out. Then, more recently, your work indicated that the bull market is definitely over. In your weekend report this past weekend, you showed a, a definitive break in your monthly momentum chart that even the most novice investor can see clearly that stocks are in big trouble. You expected a, a bit of a, a rally this week, Michael. Uh, this is only Tuesday, so we've got a ways to go yet, but there isn't much of a rally so far. Do you think we may still see something on the upside this week? And uh, if so, well, where might actually, we go? Be, be, and if not, where are we headed on the downside?
4: The, much of the rally, of course, was last week, and I think this some extension this week was in store, and we only extended, I think, about two or three points yesterday at the high. Yeah. I'm actually looking for this week to sort of probably peek out uh, again, that's a short-term type analysis. And mm-hmm. So when you, you try to fit short-term with long-term, you can, the short-term can sometimes be tricky. But uh, my guess is the rally runs out of steam soon. The, uh, and frankly, from a long-term momentum structural perspective, and I, don't, I look at trends primarily view, view, uh, through the momentum of price, not price itself. Sure. difference there. Uh, you could rally all the way to 2000 in the S&P, and it wouldn't impress me. I mean, mm-hmm. So it's basically an irrelevant rally. It's, it's a futile rally. You've done the damage. You've blown the bridge up. And price, naturally, if you'll recall in early 2008, for example, first thing you did in January is two hundred S and S&P points. Back uh-huh. then we were dropping from the 1,500 level. And then you turned around, did a base, and rallied all the way back up into May and almost got unchanged on the year. That was the mm-hmm. high of the year. And then you fell apart. But the damage had already been done in January. So it said, you're dead Rally, if you want, but it's futile, uh, and that's effectively what we're getting here. That's what we had in August, and it was futile. The recent low, to me, is meaningless. It did not hit anything that justifies a lasting support. That was the low eighteen hundreds that we got to, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, um, and so the rally is just. I think it's desperation. Partly, it's uh, you know anticipation of central bank action. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, the BOJ did just that. All right. Uh, they ambushed the market with a five-to-four vote, and that's they emphasize that. You know, when's the last time you ever heard the Fed being split that
3: way? Right, right, Usually right. Usually
4: one dissenter. There's a five-to-four vote. Four of the people on the BOJ are dissenting vocally and intellectually in the open against the entire policy. Uh, they don't think it's worked, and they don't uh, want it to continue, but they've now driven rates to negative. Abe is no doubt happy. Uh, but my bet is the yen is turned, and that's what upset them. Uh, the yen early this month went up and took out last year's high. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at yen futures, and mm-hmm. I no doubt that upset them. And so they came in on a last Friday and ambushed the market back down uh, slightly on the, uh, below where it closed last year. And we're, we're starting to firm up again. I think if the yen continues steady this month, it's in effect saying, uh, 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 Bronx cheer to the BOJ. Your, your mm-hmm. desperate effort will not work. And I think it's important. Because if the dollar can't strengthen, and so far the dollar is where it was a year ago, uh, more than a year ago, it has not gone up. People keep talking about the strong dollar. It is not strong. It is at best trading range. If you engage the euro, and that's another variable, a euro right now is a 109 plus, you get much up around 111 and something's going on. Uh, the, uh, the euro could engage in the upside. And mm. I know that flies in the face of, an, of a loose ECB. Right. But uh, sometimes technicals work out differently than the obvious fundamentals. So we have the BOJ and the ECB trying to keep their currencies down, yet I'm seeing technicals that indicate the opposite could be occurring. And if uh-huh. that occurs, it's very upsetting to a lot of things. Uh, meanwhile, while the stocks rally, how come the following two events occurred? T-bonds continued to rally, flight-to-safety right. vehicle. Why, are the, why is money still flying into T-bonds? Right. And two, gold, gold has been upticking more than the S&P. In the last (laughs) several weeks, in fact, the gold S and P spread spread out over the last five or ten years. Looking at the spread relationship, the the relative performance relationship, in my view, broke out at the end of January to the upside, meaning gold is now a stronger asset to hold than the S and P five hundred going forward, and probably for several years. Uh, And again, I find it fascinating while the S and P has had its fierce, hopeful rally, uh, gold has advanced. Let's see, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy dollars. Yeah.
3: Close of the year. Well, uh, it's kind of a stealth, uh, sort of a stealth uh-huh. bull market. Uh, we, I don't know if it's too early to say it's a bull market. I guess. Where do you uh, see uh, uh, a, sort of what uh, 11, so, 40 sort Forty of some... to
4: eleven seventy zone is a minefield for gold. You get up in that area and it's a bull market. Aha.
3: Uh-huh. We, we break over through eleven
4: thirty. So.
3: You know. you know, Michael, it reminds me a little bit of somebody on death row that's trying to postpone the inevitable and they go back to the courts they go to the governor they go here they go there and uh-huh. if that's what the bank of japan is trying to do uh, you know and uh, you know we'll see if we, we'll see if the fed reneges on on its interest rate rises I wouldn't be surprised if we see the guys coming out talking about negative rates now it looks like the propaganda artists are getting the american public ready or trying to for negative interest rates uh, mm-hmm. I've I've never seen anything so crazy in my life, and I've lived quite a few years, uh, as, as as have you. Would you agree with that? No. That it's oh, crazy
4: yeah, negative rates. That's a really a, a thumper there. That's a <laughs> that's, if you'd have suggested that ten twenty years ago, even the people who advocate it now would have thought you're nuts.
3: <laughs> so it's absolutely nuts. And I remember, yeah. you know, when I was doing my uh, economic studies at Rutgers, I remember the, uh, this topic coming up of how there were negative interest rates during the Great Depression. And uh, here we are again with negative interest rates, and it's being championed as an answer. Uh, I don't think it's going to work, but uh, we'll, we'll rely on your technical analysis uh, to tell us whether it is working, Michael. I know you like to you like to let the numbers you know keep very objective that way, rather than keep the emotions out of it, right?
4: Oh, well, you go nuts otherwise. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the you're right, right. Sometimes seems so confusing, and you know, it's uh, uh, it, it, if, if you focus on the fundamentals, you'll find contrary ones here, here and there, and it's hard to put them together and, and decide which one, hierarchically speaking, is more important than the other. Uh, so I don't, I don't do that. I rely on the momentum of price and uh, and so forth to tell me which way the flows are going.
3: Yeah, well, the dollar is sort of the dollar chart looks a little bit like a little bit like the S and P over the last year or so. I guess it's sort of just mm-hmm, doesn't mm-hmm. can't really get anywhere on the upside, but yet it, mm-hmm. it has everybody believing it's in a bull market. That's mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Well, let me just ask you one more quick question, and maybe in the next minute, if you could tell us, what do you see for the gold shares now?
4: I still like the gold shares more than I do for uh, gold in terms of yeah, – I'm watching gold because it's the papa. If it breaks out, you want you want to look at silver and gold miners. Now, I reference the GDX, but you could look at the... Because that's an unleveraged ETF of the uh, larger gold miners. Sure. There's other ones as well that, you know, have more bang for the buck, the juniors, and some of them are levered. But just using GDX as my reference point, it's trading at 14.5 area. Uh, I close out a week at uh, 15. Uh, I would begin to buy. Uh-huh. You, close out, you close out a month at 16, I would be fully invested. I think the percentage potential upside gains in the GDX could be the biggest trade of the year. And, again, that's a state, state that is a percentage gain. Part of that mm-hmm. is due to the fact that it was so vastly oversold. Sure. I mean, it used to be $68 several years yep. ago. Yep. And it came down into the 12s. Uh, and so just on a bounce effect, uh, you know, thin air bounce.
3: You, uh, could you get could a double. A
4: huge percent. You could, you could double it in a heartbeat. Yeah, And I don't see major resistance until 40
3: interesting very interesting well we'll have to let it go at that michael we're out of time as always so good to have you glad to have you back and we look to talk to you as often as we can squeeze you into this limited time we have on this show but thank you so much for being with us once again always love it jay thank you thank you so much well folks we do have to go to commercial break but don't go away chen Lin will be with us to talk about sorrento therapeutics and Sarepta therapeutics and, and maybe we can get some of his ideas on his favorite oil stock of all things as well so don't go away we'll be right back with chen Lin.
0: Dinosert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies created for use in diesel engines. The hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dinosaur's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dinosaur trades on on the TSX Venture, symbol D-Y-A and the OTCBB symbol D-Y-F-S-F. The website is Dynasert.com.
2: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? From the boardroom to you,
0: Voice America Business Network.
2: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at one 866 472 5790 That's one 472 5790 You can also send an email to questions4 at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really, really glad to have with me my business partner, Chen Lin. Uh, he's uh, with us to update us on a couple of his favorite biotech stocks. Thanks for joining me again, Chen.
5: Thank you, Jay. I appreciate the opportunity.
3: Always good to have you with me. And uh, let's start out with Sarepta Therapeutics. You know, that's a stock that's traded as high as almost 42 bucks uh, over the last 52 weeks, and uh, it's it's currently down around the 12 I guess 12 and a half or so. I I didn't check it today, 12, 12 and a half or so. Uh, The the company has a drug that has shown great promise for curing a form of muscular dystrophy that, that kills young boys, takes their lives at early ages, and keeps them in wheelchairs for most of their lives. A very sad story, but a very promising drug that Sarepta has, uh, talk to us a little bit about where that drug stands right now and, and what might be a driver I mean you, you like you seem to like the stock in spite of the fact that it's gotten whacked really hard uh, over the last few uh, weeks so uh, why do you still like this and, and what's the story with
5: Sarepta? yeah that this Story. I mean, I've been with the story uh, stock for quite a few years, three, four years. I mean, when I was in single digits, right, I discovered that I've been writing this. Actually, I probably made a more uh, correct call on this stock than every uh, Wall Street analyst. I mean, we, we talk about that like just. A few weeks ago, I mean, mm-hmm. I was telling people to sell when they hit forty, right? Yes. Four uh, zero, and and even you know the the you know the hedge fund who've been there for so many years they didn't sell and then they came back to me and said, "Wow, Chen, I wish I listened to your you know advice." Uh-huh. So now at this price, uh, market is pricing completed failure. Okay, uh, so uh, but actually the story doesn't end there, right? So there is. Um, the line, you know, in the past many years, followed this so many years, the line always been, they you know, always been that the division of the FDA. Basically, the central neurons division, that division has been extremely conservative. They wish just to use their old way. You do phase one, two, three, and then give me results, and then they don't like. The gave them phase one, two, and asked for a salary approval. That's the bottom line. They don't like it. They haven't liked it a little bit and never change. Uh, they've been like that for how many years, right? So so that's why it makes the record, you see the stock so volatile. You know, when we first invest, it was single digit and then when the data was good, it went to 50, right? 40, 50, and then FDF, I don't like the data. <laughs> right? It went down to, to 10 bucks. And well, FDF, Chen, I,
3: I, um... I, I, Chen, I know that the criticism is that the, the uh, number of participants in the trials have not been very large and I suppose that's a valid criticism, but why do you think the, can you speculate as to why the FDA doesn't like them?
5: Doesn't like Sarepta's uh, drug? No, it's not like or dislike. Okay, FDA does not want to change their way doing business. Uh, I it's see. Not the div- the FDA top level. Pop level, they're they're required by the Congress to. There's a new law passed for They have to do it. It's in the lower level. It's in division level. They hate it. That has been all along. You see the stock f- fifty, ten, forty, ten. Forty. I mean, now ten again, right? So I was able to just rise that back and down, up and down for so many times because I know every time you go stock, people get excited. Then FDA came out with something like this always. So now we are crunch time. We're going to have a, the advisory committee. It was delayed from last month. I heard latest will be this month, late this month. So we, we should have the final say from the committee. And the three has view this will be complete failure because uh, previously there's another candidate, biomarine candidate, was was shot down by FDA. People, you know, you must always think, oh, this happened first time, the second time will be a repeat, but it's not exactly repeat. They're very different. Things, yes. Right? Biomarine is very poison, you know, very, you know, there's a lot of side effects. Even yeah. at AdCon, people say they can kill someone, right? So, a uh, serapia uh, is very safe. There's absolutely no side effect, and then they don't. uh, In in uh, the farmer, it doesn't create dystrophin. In surafer, it does create dystrophin. The argument actually was um, they create about three times as normal dystrophin at DMD, and then FDA from their briefing document that division don't think that's sufficient, but it's higher than normal. And then appear those patients are doing better. So, does it have an effect or not? Is efficacy, is that, that they establish efficacy or not? The answer, I believe, will be yes. Right. So, the that's, advisory
3: that's I mean. committee, so Chen, the advisory committee uh, is an independent uh, committee that, that provides advice to the FDA, is that right? And then the right, FDA right. can do what it wants with that advisory committee's recommendation?
5: They can, they, in theory, they don't have to follow, but they Always, almost always follow that. Possibly uh-huh. also because this is public pressure is so high. You know, FDA director themselves will be, you know, Janet Woodcock will be on the ADCON. So uh, they will sit down sit through that. So if the uh, Adversary Committee approved, uh, recommend or approve it, I believe FDA has to follow that.
3: Yeah. If they don't, I would think they'd open themselves up to some lawsuits possibly.
5: Well, not necessarily. There will be congressional hearings. Yeah. There will be a mm-hmm. lot of... Like, you know, FDA is a political animal. The right? yeah. <laughs> government agency political animal. They want their job, bottom line, right? Well, and Chen, if, uh, if they don't... Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. If, if they don't... If there's overwhelming evidence and then to approve it and I kind recommend to approve it, I don't think they dare to challenge that. I, I, okay, I, Chen, I what, what's, so. what,
3: what's the upside for this stock? Let's say that the advisory committee comes out with a strong advice to move forward on it. What what do you think can happen to the stock?
5: Well, before the this bad news came it was forty dollar and the people were talking at that time people were talking about approval could go to a hundred. Well mm-hmm. with all these corrections, they may be lower than that, you know, you're looking at yeah. sixty, eighty. I mean still right now it's ten, dollars twelve dollars. Yeah. So it's not yeah. that R- huge. So uh, so that's what I'm looking forward to. All right. Well, of course, this is a
3: reason you need to subscribe to Chen's letter to keep up to date. We talk to Chen only occasionally here on this uh, on this show, and, and I comment uh, briefly from time to time a week or so later in my own newsletter about what Chen's saying about some of his favorite picks. But if you want to really take advantage of, of the hard work that Chen does, the due diligence that he does trading his own account, you need to be a subscriber. And that's, uh, again, go to miningstocks.com for that. Well, Chen, let me ask you, uh, Sorrento is your other favorite biotech stock and it's also one that I've uh, added to my newsletter as well I like this one a lot but tell us tell our listeners
5: why do you like it oh because it has it's under the radar Uh, most of the people don't know that or she doesn't know that and uh, and has some incredible technology that can actually lead to cure of cancer that's a I'm not it's not statement, and I'm not just joking it's Truly, they have truly first-class technology that can actually, for mankind, once for all, cure cancer. Uh, but of course, it's in the biotech. You never know until it's being approved. So it's it's a possibility. Okay, but the key was nobody put that into any consideration. The stock is barely trading at above their cash and short-term investment, and then they have another six hundred million. Plus 600 million sales milestone. That's 1.2 billion milestone coming in the market cap of this is like 200 something. Wow. Million, so yeah. with, with over 100 million cash. And so the 600 million is coming dimension. from what? Uh, Chen, the 600 million is uh, coming from what? Uh, for another uh, uh, for another thing they sold to, to Patrick Su It's another candidate for CIVILAC. Lac. Okay. They did, you mm-hmm. can check it was sold last year. So it's a 90 million p- down payment and then 1.2 billion milestone and oh. you know for patrick susan that's the, the richest doctor on Earth, he doesn't write a check 90 million for nothing right? yeah. you know that so, oh. so it's in the pipeline but people just forgot about that <laughs> you must tend to be very short-sighted they just look oh you know oh, the the biotech are down so i try to better sell i better you know run run for the cover
3: yeah one thing i understand that that people aren't paying any attention to, but what could be absolutely revolutionary is a technology that they are working together with City of Hope on, and that has to do with cell penetration, where they could deliver the drug inside the cell. And Nobody else has been able to do that so far, right?
5: Right. Nobody was able to do it effectively as they are doing. And then they can manage, they can deliver the antibody inside the cell to kill cancer to, to, to go to the root of the cancer plus. Not just cancer, also many other disease, but this one can be a holy grail, but, but it's a very early stage, okay? It's, yeah, uh-huh. Even before the I, I think it's an animal model right now, so they will would, would take a few years to develop, but of course, the investor has no patient on those, but however, they do have a four phase three drug candidates, right? They have, they have also many other phase one, phase two. So in terms of pipeline, this company is amazing. You know, they yeah. have cash. They have over 100 million cash. Uh, that's to cover them for, for the foreseeable future. Uh, cash and, and short-term investment. I'm talking mm-hmm. together. Okay. And then they also have all the phase one, phase two, phase three, all the pipelines. And they also have an invest, investment in all the different Patrick Sussong's uh, company, portfolio company. And they also have the technology. So they, they seems to have everything in biotech. You know, whatever investor wants, they yeah. have. And they have yeah. everything, but just market was very bad. And you know, it's right now it's five dollars. It's back to where I bought it two years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's around <laughs> five, five bucks I, now today. I think it yeah, was ten just a, a couple of weeks ago. Right. Fortunately, I saw some when there was 20 something in the summer. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it, it's just amazing round trip. And it's just, uh, the people's biotech is very hard to, um, to trade per se. Okay. Because there are yeah. so many machines programmed, they trade it. They just use different algorithms. Um, yeah. They, 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 they can drive the stock up and then they drive stock down. <laughs> well, and <then> you look <laughs> but, for you opportunities know, you because you're. One. Yeah. Yeah,
3: you're you're focused on the fundamentals, Chen. You look for opportunities. We're just out of time, but I wanted uh, maybe thirty seconds comment on Pan orient Energy. They just, uh, I guess, just announced they're going to come out with a dividend, a uh, forty cents on a stock that's trading at around a dollar twenty Canadian, forty cents Canadian, a tw- dollar twenty two earlier today. Canada. What uh, It seems as though the market must be thinking this stock is going out of business, this company is going out of business as it's uh, it's down even a little bit today, or it was earlier today, after this announcement.
5: Yeah, why, why, like why do you all like it? Jen? All you like before was down, that's why stock was down a little bit. Uh, but, you know, okay. stocks, the is still trading at below cash, and then they have a history of paying dividends. Pay, last time they paid $0.75, cents, this time $0.40. Cents. They are selling their project one by one, so I expect more dividends coming, and it's trading below cash. <laughs> you know, how, how bad can it
3: be? And, and so within the next 30 days or so, people should get, have a nice check or a nice, a nice uh, piece of change in their account, I suppose, if they own this stock now.
5: Yeah, the shareholders.
3: Yes. All right. All right. Very good. Well, we're out of time. I got to run. Thank you, Chen, for being with us. Uh, we'll have you back again, of course, sometime very soon. So, thanks so much for your thoughts, and look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. All right, folks. Well, don't go away. We're going to be back with David Haggith, and uh, we're going to hear what he has to say. Um, he's going to try to help us live up to the name of our show, turning hard times into good times. So, don't go away. We'll be right back with David Haggith.
0: Dinosaur is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dinosaur's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dinosaur Trade. On the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTC BB symbol DYFSF. The website is dinasert.com.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me for the first time David Haggith. David started writing about the, uh, the economy after he predicted the Great Recession half a year before it hit and was puzzled as to why no economist or stock analyst saw it coming. In the months after the crisis broke out, he started to write humorous editorials in a series called Downtime, which chided the U.S. government and banking people who should have seen the economic collapse coming, but whose greed, cronyism, and ineptitude caused them to run, all of us, into this current mess that we're in. We've never really dug our way out of it, for sure. David's uh, articles were published in the Hudson Valley Business Journal, the Valley City Times record in North Dakota, Uh, and the Daily Herald in Tennessee. David is dedicated to regularly criticizing the daily news, not just the content but the uncritical, unthinking nature of almost all of the reporting folks. He now writes his own blog, the Great Recession blog, to break down the, the same news from the point of view of an equal opportunity critic toward both Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals. And I should mention before we say hello to David that uh, you should go to the greatrecession.info blog. The greatrecession.info blog. That is really uh, the greatrecession.info is the website. Uh, and there you'll read David's blog, which is really writes a lot of really interesting stuff, which is why we're really happy to say hello. Thanks for joining me today, David. Well,
1: thanks for inviting me, Jay.
3: Really interesting. I I guess it was one of your articles that caught my eye, and it probably was the one we want to focus on today. Uh, And that was your article really predicting what you saw coming in 2016. Uh, You know, you're writing a lot about what can only be considered doom and gloom, I guess. The title of my show is Turning Hard Times into Good Times, so I'm hoping that you'll have a vision of some kind of good times in the future for folks who are prepared for the difficulties that you very rationally predict. So my question is, do you see the possibility of a happy and good life in the future for those who are ready to face what you refer to as the apocalypse? And if so, what will, quote, a good life, end quote, in the not-too-distant future, what will it look like in America?
1: Well, I think one of the things that's kind of funny about me writing about doom and gloom, and maybe it's one of the reasons I, I can write about it, is I tend to take everything with a sense of humor. And so I don't get really depressed about these things, and I sometimes have to be a little careful talking about them with others who maybe don't share that outlook on life, and they get a little bit more um, easily upset by them. Yes. You know, I... I, I have a lot of faith going forward in life, and I think you know, no matter what comes and what I have to brave, um, it's all an interesting learning experience. Life is is rich, even in its hardships, and I think we're going into a time of a great deal of hardship. I've been through times of personal hardship myself, and I know that I can learn a lot through them, and I grow a lot through them, mm-hmm. um, and that I can find good times in them. You know, I can laugh during hard times most of the time. Um, And this might be one of those times that's going to test, I'm I'm sure it will be one of those times that's going to test those skills for me. Sure. I think that um, there is, there's always possibility of something that's, you know, good that's going to come out of the worst of times. I think we're going into a time where our problems are so great and we push them ahead that it's going to take a monumental kind of solution. And the question I would have is do we have the political will to do it and the, the political unity of vision to do it. I think that the amount of debt that we're seeing, that nations have stacked up, that you know, first we're seeing the little nations fall, the, you know, the Brazils, the Greeces, the Italy struggling and having problems, but it you know, spreads with contagion beyond that, that if we're going to move to a good time, we're going to have to have a debt jubilee. To me, mm-hmm. that's the answer is a global reboot where you just, and the only way it would work is if it was fair, you just say, you know what, all debts are washed away. We're just hitting the major reboot button here because we've piled up so much that we could spend the next hundred years trying to dig ourselves out of it and, you know, being indebted to large bankers and governments being indebted to government. And we can all struggle along or we could just agree to just reboot and start over. Mm-hmm. And the person walks away with the hard assets that they have already in their possession, but their debts are forgiven. That's going to be a hardship of its own because if you got retirement accounts, well, you probably lost a lot of it because probably it's you know built on bonds and other things that also get forgiven in that process. But I think it would be refreshing. I'd love to see it happen, but it would take a different set of politicians. It would take uh, people divorcing themselves from their party affiliations because obviously neither party is putting forward an answer that looks anything like that. Um, take yeah. a lot of strength.
3: Yeah, it it certainly would. I mean, and, and you know, it just doesn't seem to be in the nature of people to be willing to say, okay, I'll forgive these debts. And, uh, you know, I mean, the whole system is so built on debt. I mean, before we went off the gold standard, of course, when there was still most of the globe until 1971, at least throughout history, has had some semblance of, of asset-backed money, uh, asset-based money, I should say, that sort of kept things from getting so levered as they are now. Would you agree?
1: I would. And I think, you know, our only solution would be that we have to get completely out of the mindset of building things based on debt. Debt has its place. But the reason, you know, it's going to be hard to come to a solution is our whole economic model is built on it. That's how how the Federal Reserve creates money is through loans. It, you know, creates money and in, in its reserve banks and, and those go out and they make loans and they get the money into circulation that way if people don 't take the loan there's they don 't really have a means of, of getting new money into the system
3: yeah because real real capital real money real capital would come from savings from honest savings as as opposed to money that 's created out of thin air and pumped into the system i mean we saw it in in a massive amount, a massive quantity after, you know, with quantitative easing after 2008, 2009, where you had new quote-unquote capital created out of nothing that all of a sudden comes into the system and competes with honest capital, that is savings from from past production, right? And now, how can, and, and so you have this huge leverage system that makes it ever more difficult to unwind it, right?
1: Well, it does, and, you know, it's the big players that are playing and, and making advantage of that, and so in the process we see this hugely widening gap between rich and poor, haves and have-nots, um, between the one percent and the ninety-nine percent, because it's those people with the big money to put in the stock market that are able to you know, participate in that in that system. But the savers who would just like to save their money and try to get ahead a little bit, those guys are shut out. They can't make any money on their money, and now. In a number of countries, they're losing money on their money, you know yeah. negative interest rates, yeah so they're,
3: exactly, and they're and they're talking about it here too, David
1: yeah, they're talking about it here, and then Japan just did it, you know, yeah,
3: yeah. well, so uh what I wanted to talk to you about were some of the mega trends that you see for two thousand and sixteen um, you know first of all, I'd like to ask you an interesting word. Um, creation that I think you've made this word. I haven't seen it anywhere else, and I couldn't find it in the dictionary. But epoch, apocalypse, apocalypse uh, instead of apocalypse. So an epoch. I guess it, it comes from the word epoch, or a major change uh, in uh, in history. I guess right.
1: Yeah, I was looking for a word that would be big enough and, you know, that might start to be used so we can talk about this. Because sometimes it helps us to have a handle on something. Sure. It to be a really big word. And I came up with a variety of different ideas and didn't like them or found them already used. And I found that this word had been used actually some time ago back in the Y2K bug days to talk about the idea of an economic I mean, a, an electronic apocalypse, but it never really gained any ground. So I thought, well, I'm going to recoin it and use it for what I'm talking about, which is an economic epo- apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's there's a lot of things about the word that I I liked. The I, the word apocalypse itself actually means revelation, mm-hmm. um, but we commonly think of it as meaning the types of of really massive events that are spoken of in the Book of Revelation, right? Yes. So, you know, things that happen on a biblical scale, and I see what we 're going into is that kind of a a massive transformation period, something that's that 's very big uh-huh. like these Holocaust types of events mm-hmm. and so that 's why I wanted a word that 's that big you 've got the you know the idea of something that 's epic in scale in the word apocalypse there 's kind of the sound of collapse in apocalypse, yeah and it's, all of those things oh well, yeah it 's a very interesting
3: uh, word creation that uh, I think fits fits what you're talking about, and and unfortunately, um, I think unfortunately, although I think if you learn to deal with it, as you say, or you become um, aware of this reality, then you can prepare for it as best as possible. Uh, To the extent possible, physically, by protecting yourself or, or living in an area where you can be safer, or I would also say spiritually and emotionally protect yourself for the difficulties that are to come. But let's talk a little bit about your uh, your article that you wrote about 2016, you see uh, megatrends, uh, and I'd like to talk to you about some of those megatrends. You mentioned Brazil and Greece, some of the smaller countries. I don't think Brazil is so small, but it, it certainly had its ups when it was selling a lot of stuff to China, but more recently, of course, with the Chinese uh, shutting down their imports of, of uh, all manner of, uh, of materials, uh, Brazil has fallen on hard times. But other countries that you know prospered and and are really friendly to the United States, like japan canada australia they 're having their troubles too now aren 't they they 're starting to have their troubles as a result of this um, debt un- unwinding of debt
1: yeah they they are and you know i I mentioned in my article I said that there was uh, you know that basically we're already in a global recession now if you mm-hmm. make these economies and these different countries economies in their own currency. There's only a few of them that are in recession. Of course, that's the way you would normally measure it. If you measure their economies in dollars, well, most of the world is now into recession, and a large part of that, of course, is because of the exchange rate of dollars. Yeah, to save themselves, these countries, numerous ones, have you know suppressed the value of their currency. Japan, China, Europe, um, and you know way down below what the dollar is. But I don't think it's an unfair comparison to say, well, we're, you know, let's measure these economies in dollars and see what we've got as a global recession, because what do they owe their debt in? Yes. Do them owe their debt in dollars? That's what they're going to have to pay it back. And we often talk about, you know, well, how do we measure how big their debt problems are? Well, we compare it to their GDP. Well, if we look at their GDP in dollars, it's, it's shrunk hugely. And, you know, all of a sudden their GDP looks nowhere near being able to pay off the kinds of debts they've got. So, you know, we've got nations that can't conceivably pay their debts anymore.
3: Yeah. Well, that's for sure. And I, I would I would suppose that might even be true of the United States, but that's another issue. Right. Uh, okay, so then there's there's countries like Venezuela, Russia, Ukraine. You mentioned Greece already. We know the story of Greece to an, to an extent, but comment on those countries. I mean, they're all unique situations. Maybe Russia and Ukraine are more tied together, but Venezuela, it seems like, uh, I, I heard the other day they have very low pumping costs they, they can still produce, I think Dennis Gartman was talking about producing oil fairly cheaply yet, so Venezuela is likely to continue pumping oil, but uh, oil seems to be a big part of the of the story here, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I just read today, this was the first I had heard it, that Venezuela's cost of pumping oil may be as low as, as $17 a barrel. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, And Saudi Arabia's costs may be as low as $5. Right. (laughs) And and likewise with Iran's, which might be even lower still. So these guys, Venezuela, an oil-based economy, Russia, an oil-based economy in a lot of ways, um, they desperately need that oil money. And if they can keep pumping it at any kind of cash flow at all, they can't afford to turn it down even a little bit because you know they're really hurting, so I think it plays a lot into the oil thing.
3: hmm So they have to just keep pumping for cash flow so they can pay their debts and keep their societies together, I guess, in part.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the moves that I saw recently, you know, just last week was the stock market went up because oil prices went up a little bit, and I huh. just I've been writing an article about this called "Irrational Exuberance" and the stock market knows no bounds. I thought. Now, this is nuts. The oil price went up a little bit because they said, well, you know, Russia is is willing to talk uh, with the... the Saudi people, Arabia, maybe? Saudi Arabia, yeah, yeah. about the prices of, prices of oil and, and consider cutting back. Um, but they can't cut back. You know, Russia's got oil running through pipes in Siberia that if they don't keep the oil moving, it's going to is going to gel up inside the pipes. So they Mm -hmm. got some movement going, and they got to have all the cash flow that they can. Mm So, yeah, of course they're going to talk about it, but it was crazy that both the price of oil momentarily went up on speculation and that the stock market took this big leap up for a day. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was going to last, and it didn't. It's going right back down again. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me it's irrational because the forces that these countries are up against in terms of the need for their oil... Um I mean that's just one of the small contributors with the oil thing, but certainly the fact that their economies are in recession is a is a part of it
3: yeah no 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 question about it and um you and would just, think that yeah, yeah that, you know i want I want to ask you about uh, Russia and China in a little bit, but you know we we keep hearing from the from the happy talkers on the mainstream media that the United States you know is in pretty good shape, and we can pull everybody else out. Uh, perhaps or at least you know we're at least at least there's a good reason for everybody to keep confident in the United States because well we we're pretty good we're pretty well off what are your thoughts about the US economy right now
1: well we've got our own mountain of debt and we might be the last one you know will be the last one pulled down into the problems that these other countries are having But if they're all hurting that much, they're not going to be able to buy as much in the way of U.S. exports. And I know people say, well, you know, exporting isn't that big of a part of our economy, but it's still a big enough part to matter. We're running out of trading partners. We're, you know, facing places like Puerto Rico that can't pay their debts, mostly owed to, you know, the United States and the people in the United States. So, um it's going to it's going to bring problems for the US. I don't think we've got the muscle to pull people out.
3: So if there's no engine, I mean, after the 2008-2009, China went to work. They started they started printing money. I don't know if they went to work. They started printing money and building cities that are unoccupied and bridges to nowhere and so on and so forth. And now they've got uh, excess capacity and they've got all kinds of issues and they can't buy anymore. It seems to me that we've run out of countries to bail us out and if the U.S. can't do it. So... Uh, I guess where you know, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with John Exter's inverted pyramid, but it seems to me that the whole globe is now in that situation where the debt has reached sort of maximum debt and it can't go any further. And now we have to unwind. Is that the way you see it?
1: Yeah, I think that's what we're, we're clawing against. A lot of us, you know, have been saying for years that the debt that we're building up is getting to that kind of a point. Um, and I guess this is what it looks like when it gets there.
3: Yeah, it, uh, it seems to be the case. Well, let's talk a little bit about oil, some more about oil. I mean, it seems to me, you, you mentioned a guy named Tom Claza, and he, he was just about as spot on as anybody there was. He was predicting that oil would go to $30 last year, and uh, I'm looking today, I think it's down, I don't know, it's below 30, 28 or something, and change perhaps today. Um, what is, what is, uh, is this gentleman saying now?
1: Well, I was just read, reading him today, and I thought it was kind of interesting because he picked his comments today were picking up on the same thing that I thought was so significant. You know, I mentioned a moment ago how the market spiked up because oh, Russia and and uh, Saudi Arabia were talking about whether or not they'd make a cutback in oil, and he said nothing happened today. This was a non-event, and yet you've got the market jumping up, and it's it's not rational. Says, you know, of course they're going to say that they're going to talk. What else are they going to say? No, no, we won't. Um, so, but talk is cheap, right? Anybody can do that. It doesn't change the fact that they've got these big pressures that are pushing on them. Um, you know, you got to think about why the Saudis are, are in this game. Mm-hmm. OPEC for a long time pretty much controlled they've controlled the price of oil and what that really meant was if oil prices go down it was because OPEC would reduce supply nobody else necessarily reduced what they were producing but OPEC being by far the biggest producers would make the change but the United States at that time was you know, an oil importing nation, a net, net import and we were not exporting oil like we are now Well, now as we're exporting more and more Saudi Arabia and others in OPEC, look at that equation and say, well, hold it. You want the price to go down, but you want all the cuts to be made on the side of our production. (laughs) Um, We're not going to do it. So, you know, until you make the cuts in your production too, at least, you know, if you want us to cut back a half a million barrels a day, you cut back a half a million barrels a day. Yeah. Yeah. We're not used to that. We're used to well, we can just produce what we want because they're making so much, they can make all the cuts. So
3: it sort of boils down to nations doing what they they feel is in their own best interest. And why would they be altruistic? I guess right? Why would they bend over for our benefit? And isn't this sort of what's coming? What's really happening globally now, especially you know Russia and China are saying, "No, you guys have pushed your empire far enough. We're not willing." To be taken over by you guys. Stay out of the South Sea, America. This is our. These are our islands. You have no business being here. Uh, you know, and Russia and China now are trading more. Uh, from what I read, they're doing some trade, oil trade, and oil uh, in, in with gold. Russia selling its oil to China for gold, and they certainly are not trading in petrodollars anymore. I just, it, to me, it seems like we're at a at a point where a lot of this has to do with. Uh, geopolitics and the ability of the, say, the Anglo-American Empire and NATO uh, to maybe to survive. It needs to continue to expand. And do you see it that way? Do you think there's some of that going on as part of what's what this is all about?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, and every player's got its own own political thing that that it's interested in, right? Right. You ask, why would uh, Russia and China do something altruistic? They wouldn't, but they couldn't do something to hurt the United States either. At one point, because they were heavily invested in petrodollars, they were heavily invested in the U.S. So if you, you know, hurt the United States in a you know significant material way, your own investments are going to shrink up. So what we saw, you know, three years ago, I started writing. Well, it looks to me like China and Russia are divesting from U.S. dollars. That yes. and lots of gold, and at the time, not too many people were pointing this out. But I was like, look. I think this is where the gold is being purchased, I think it's being purchased by China, maybe a half a year later it started coming out that it was being purchased by China. Mm -hmm. And I think they're doing that to back out of U.S. Treasuries, because until they get out they can't do anything that's going to hurt the U.S., it's not altruism that keeps them from doing it, it's their own financial interest. But Russia has, I believe, pretty well divested from U.S. Treasuries now, and China has in the last year taken some pretty large steps in that direction. So it becomes easier for them to not care what damage they do to us. Yeah, well, it
3: certainly seems that way to me, and I, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's that's my read of things, and I just I I just think that maybe part of the reason. That the economies are weak in the West is because a lot of that trade is no longer being enacted or transacted with the West. It's going between, you know, China and Russia, and they've set up their own financial systems, their their own trading systems, their own um, you know, uh, well, electronic uh, money moving systems, and so forth, and their own infrastructure, their their own. Banks, uh, because the the West hasn't been willing to play fair with them, so they're doing their own thing. We are just about out of time here. I want to tell our our listeners uh, that they should really definitely go to your blog and read what you have to say. This particular article that I'm uh, that I'm touching on here, and just basically, we're just David's just very basically talking about there are a whole bunch of megatrends. Uh, you know, the industrial recession in the U.S., stocks and, and bondage, the big bond bust, I mean, hedges, ho- hedgehogs heading for the hills. That's very interesting how the people are putting their money into hedge funds, and the hedge funds are, are, they don't know what to do with the money. The stuff going on in the Middle East, uh, there's just a whole host of stuff uh, that people should really go to, and um, uh, to, to David's blog, and read about the Great Info. The Recession.info is a place to go to. David, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for being with us. I look forward to following your work and, and talking to you again sometime in the near future. You have so many things uh, to talk about that are that I think are spot on. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks, Jay. I really enjoyed it. It's really, uh, really good. Well, folks, uh, next week, um, we're going to be talking to William Engdahl. Uh, I hope you'll join me for that. And uh, I want to thank our... Uh, my producer, Tacey Trump, and my engineer, Matt Widener. And until next week, uh, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
2: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.